Our Lakeshore campaign features content that some viewers may find uncomfortable, including gun violence, drug use, and sexuality. For more detailed information, including full content warnings and transcripts, check out the show notes or our website, therealmscast.com. Previously on Lakeshore. After the gang returns from their adventure at the radio factory, Knox awakes to discover his demon form starting to spread along his body as his deadline to kill Rex grows nearer. Susan scores some healing from an increasingly pointy-looking Roman before visiting Joan in the hospital, where she discovers that she and her friends are wanted by the authorities. Meanwhile, Roman and Kitty take their stolen crystals to the last hurrah, and Charlie attempts to restore Kitty's powers. In their dreams, Roman is accosted by the many facets of her identity, while Kitty dreams an idyllic, paper-thin fantasy that is quickly torn to shreds. Charlie's operation is successful, and the sisters head home, ready to take on the Lakeshore Exhibition and Mayor Evelyn Graham. Hi, I'm Jory. I play Kitty the Oracle, and it's good to be here. She plays Kitty the Oracle again. My name is Eli, I play Roman the Fae, and it is good to be here. Hi, I'm Jillian, I play Susan the Hunter. It is so good to be here. My name is Jordan, I play Nox Detained, <laughs> and don't forget, it is good to be here. I'm Philip Yanakis, a respected employee of our municipal government, and I'm told I'm here to introduce some sort of radio program. Welcome to Many Realms. Susan Starling, you wake up on the morning of the Lakeshore Exhibition with a plan in mind to visit the Wolves of the Docks. However, after you get up, uh, are you, I, you're back at your um, like proper apartment in the Sings house, right? Yes. Yeah, so Susan, you wake up and you get ready in your own apartment, um, maybe for the first time in a little bit, considering how busy you've been at the Naturalist Society and at Roman's house. And when you head downstairs, probably at 7.30 or 8 in the morning, wanting an early start on such a momentous day, someone at the door is waiting for you. You see Nancy. She is wearing all black, uh, a black wool turtleneck, and a uh, dark sort of charcoal gray trench coat that is almost uh, ankle length, full coverage. She has a a wide-brimmed hat on. She looks like she's honestly here to kill you. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Fuck me up, Nancy. Hello. Good morning. What brings you round today? I think you know perfectly well, Thuthan. I do not. I do not. (laughs) Nancy sighs. She says, I don't really want to get into this with you very much, but I spoke with Joan. She made me promise that I would come today and help you with whatever you needed. Oh, wow. Don't mistake me. I still think that you are one of the lowest, most monstrous human beings I've had the mispleasure of meeting in my life. The worst kind of monster, the kind that looks like a friend. But that doesn't mean I want this city to be overtaken by demons. What do I need to do? We need to destroy every radio we can find. Radios? 
Yes, the mayor has delivered radios to every household, but inside the radios are crystals, which I think will like harness people's magic and, and just siphon it away to the mayor for personal use. How does it work? I'm not sure. I'm not a magician myself, but these crystals amplify magic that I do know. And I assume they're connected by the transmission of radio waves. Yes. My brother operates the radio station um, an hour or so north of the city. Maybe I should pay him a visit today, see if there's anything he can do to help. Can I take this radio? She points to the one that's on the Sing's uh, coffee table next to the flyer from the mayor, encouraging them to tune in to her address at noon today. I happily shove it into her hands as in a take this out of my house kind of thing. Uh, yes, absolutely. I think I think that'd be great. Okay. But if anything happens, I don't want to ask too much. I don't know what you have planned, but is there anyone you can spare so I, I don't have to go alone? I think I know just the person. Jim Stevens and, uh, you know, his emporium um, in Fairside, he, um, I'm sure he would love to, to get out of town today. He's quite competent. Okay. Nancy, without an additional word, uh, strides toward the door, the radio in the crook of her arm. And as she opens the door and steps out onto the porch, she looks back and she gives you a curt nod. She says, good luck, Susan. And then she leaves. Uh, and you want to go talk to the wolves? I do. On, I guess, public transit. Oh, yeah. Rip my motorcycle. Or unless you have, like, access to the pickup truck. I don't know if that's like a car share for you guys, millennials. Um, <laughs> no, I'll just take the street car, whatever. Okay. So I think it's a it's a bit of a longer trip to get all the way down into the docks. And are you going to go to the distillery to, uh, say, Alan and Hotch is uh, apartment? Yeah, I was thinking more Alan and Hotch. Hotch looks nervous when he opens the door leading down to their basement apartment. Normally he sleeps in quite late, werewolves do, but he is up and dressed early and you can see big bags under his eyes. He's got his dark bushy hair pulled back into a fairly tight ponytail and he glowers down at you and he says, what the fuck's on the agenda? Would you like to smash some things today? I could be so inclined. What do you got for me? Radios. Smashing radios? Yes, they've got those crystals in them. Okay, whose radios where? The mayor has had radios delivered probably to every household. Those radios? Those radios. That's what they were producing. As you said, there's, there's, you know, at least one in every house, if not more. You expect me to go door to door with a baseball bat, Susan? <laughs> the image crossed my mind. Um, <laughs> I mean, whatever you think you can do to convince people that the bad news i mean if that's the thing to do that's the thing to do I'll, I'll get the boys together uh maybe i'll alternate between burglar and missionary and see what puts me out on top <laughs> all right what are you gonna do i'm going to keep an eye on the mayor it was nice knowing you susan <laughs> if we do see it tomorrow want to get a drink sometime yeah it's been a while since i had a drink at trixie's didn't have broken glass in it be nice <laughs> he uh, shuts the door and heads downstairs to wake Alan. 
And what of the rest of you? I guess I want to cast psychometry on this radio. I also would like to do a um, foretellings roll. I I just I just want to use all my moves. Well, you you get foretellings like it's the start of a session for sure. So I'll do a foretellings and I'll do psychometry. Then maybe I'll just find someone to skim the service on just for fun, just just because it feels nice. Nine. Hold one. Kitty, it's with a complicated mixture of familiar relief and cold terror that in the twilight hours of the morning, as you toss and turn in the lumpy bed that Roman has offered you once again in her house, that you feel the flickering of a vision passing behind your closed eyelids. You see a small room, cramped even, Intensely modern in design, all molded plastic and uh, sheets of metal. Some sort of technical office equipment room, something strange like that. But rather brightly lit, rather clean, rather fresh. You hear the sound of short heeled shoes clicking across an immaculately cleaned floor. And opening the door, entering this room is Mayor Evelyn Graham. She has a placid expression. Her hair is neatly pinned back. Not a fiber on her outfit is out of place. She steps serenely over to a console. You can see over her shoulder a warm wash of early summer sunlight as it filters in through a small high window into this room. And through that window, you can see the peaking skyline of the rest of Lakeshore spilling out below. Mayor Graham looks down at the console With an elegant manicured finger, she flips a switch and she begins to speak. Though you can't make out any of the words she's saying, as soon as she starts talking, you can hear the buzzing of of feedback, high sonic screaming in the very bass, the drum of your ear. And suddenly all over you feel icy cold, like you've been doused with a bucket of freezing water and sharp shooting pains start trickling in from the ends of all of your limbs. And just before you open your mouth to scream because you can't take it any longer, your eyes open and you're staring up the ceiling of your bedroom in Roman's house. So really what that told me is it's going to be bad what's going to happen if we let it happen. Might not be good. (laughs) All right. My next thing I want to oracle up is a radio. There's one downstairs, right? There sure is. Uh, 11. So I get lots. Cool. What secrets or mysteries has this object been privy to? I think as you gently run your hand over the dials on the front of the radio and idly turn them, you get a glimpse of the factory in the north end of the city, of the production supervision office in which you encountered Angela Whitcomb and her blobby blobby boys. She is sitting in her chair at the edge of the counter and she is pouring over plans for the radios. There is a a small station set up, a little bit of a work table, and you can see that she has what looks to you like maybe something resembling a car battery that is plugged in with alligator clips to the uh, two points of contact on the antenna and on the base of the radio. And as she idly flips a switch and the battery turns on, electricity surges into the radio. At first it lights up and you can see the needle on the front waving back and forth wildly. And then you can see that as the electricity continues to flow, the crystal starts to crack 
hairline fissures form along its surface. And then after maybe 15 or 20 seconds, the crystal shatters. Angela uh, rolls back, covering her face with her hand, and then eagerly scoots forward to see the aftermath as a plume of dull, greasy smoke trickles up from the spent crystal in the back of the radio. So is it a one-time use thing? It looks like uh, excessive electricity can cause it to explode. Okay. (laughs) Which is true of a lot of things. (laughs) Me too, yeah. Um, what bands, wards, or limits are attached to this object? You see a kind of bird's eye view of the city of Lakeshore. And shooting out from all of the homes in the city are strands of uh, shimmering white light that seem to resemble the, the sparkles or glimmers that emit from the crystal when it's caught in a shaft of light. And you can see in this bird's eye view, suddenly one of the houses goes dark and the point of light shooting out from it disappears. And then some other lights thicken around to sort of fortify and cover this network across the city in the spot where the light has been extinguished. And you can see that as they do, the connection becomes more unstable. The energy occasionally slows or stops. The more of these lights that disappear, the harder it is for each light to connect to the others in the city. Okay. They're limited by how many are in the network. I have a third hold, but I don't really think the other questions are going to help me much. So I think based on that information, I'm going to smash the radio I'm holding. Cool. Just on the ground? Yeah, I'm just going to smash it. Okay. Roman, you wake up to the sound of smashing metal and crunching glass downstairs. <laughs> I think it's... I Roman thinks it's her annoying roommate's. <laughs> And she like stomp downstairs and be like, what the fuck? What the fuck could you possibly be doing now? Oh, I see you're getting um, an early head start on the festivities. The fewer of these there are, the easier I think it's going to be to stop this thing. So (laughs) Roman grabs a broom and is like, hey, I agree. Just shove it out of the way so nobody cuts their foot. Yeah, people are walking through here barefoot, not even wearing slippers. Um, I grab a broom and start sweeping it up. Excellent. Roman and Knox, what's your vibe this morning? Maybe like fidgeting a little with her appearance and trying to seem a little bit less like uh, this wanted poster that Susan has warned me about. True. Oh yeah, I guess we should disguise up. Yeah, I like the idea that I just like shoved um, the wanted poster under your door and like scribbled a note on the back of like... Mm. Went to go rally the boys or whatever. The last. Yeah, yeah. Susan just wrote a note that said Ferda and then walked away. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Roman is taking some personal psych up time, plus maybe shaves her head. Nice. Hot. While listening to like Eye yeah. of the Tiger on vinyl. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay. Can we hit the streets to see if there's anybody? Um, that would help us, like, low-key disguise ourselves? Sure, yeah. Uh, You are looking for a disguise. What faction are you rolling with? I mean, I feel like the people of Wild are, like, around here and maybe are more likely to support this plan. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I mean, there is, for example, like... uh, 
a cadre of relatively powerful Fae that are now leaderless with Ileana having gone. Um, and Fae are, you know, definitely have access to illusions. Is that something you're interested in exploring, Roman? Yes. Okay. So tell me about who you're going to and what that's like. I think I'd like to go to some Fae that we haven't met yet. They are like sort of at the same level of Roman, um, sort of currying for Ili- were currying for Ileana's power, um, and where Roman has stepped back a little bit from this Fae faction, the power vacuum that Ileana has created has made a lot of these people um, try to step up. And I think Roman herself maybe is not an influence in the city, but like what we are doing is incredibly influential. So I think there is an opportunity there to go to her old friends and offer this as like uh, mutually beneficial. Okay, roll to hit the streets uh, with Wild. Nice. 10. 10, nice, okay. Um, so you're gonna get pretty much what you need. You go to visit a fay named Courtney, who is a tall, slender, dour-looking androgynous figure with uh, long black hair that largely covers their face. They're trying to invent goth in like the 1920s and they're working really hard at it. Courtney has taken up a position at the cafe that Knox lives above. So perhaps even when you go, you know, Knox is... Maybe that's when you like pick him up and bring him back to the house or something. And Courtney is uh, in a booth like Ileana, sort of trying to project that same sense of power and glamour though in a very different style. And you can tell that the new fae, the new kind of court surrounding them uh, is still kind of feeling out their place. When you approach the booth, you think Courtney's looking at you. I mean, eye contact is not their strong suit. There's a lot of hair in the face, but their head definitely moves towards you, Roman, and says, you shaved. As always, you have a uh, very perceptible eye, Courtney. It's nice to see you again. I see that you're doing pretty well for yourself now that Eliana's gone. You haven't been around. Yeah. Well, it's pretty clear to me that a lot of people are vying for the same spot, and I thought I would do everybody a favor and let them have it. That sounds stupid. <laughs> Well, I know you don't like games, so I'll cut to the chase. (laughs) There is some bad shit going down with the mayor. I would like to say I just explain everything pretty candidly to Courtney. I I do want to frame it as sort of like this sort of information and this sort of help could really bolster your chances in um, securing that spot for you. Yeah. I mean, I you rolled very well, and I think the thing you're asking for is relatively like low cost and harmless to Courtney. It's like you're not gonna, it's no way to like tie it back to them, and you're not using it to like you know trouble them. So they're like whatever. Sure. Courtney uh, opens the little glass dish at the end of the table in the booth and fishes out how many? Six. Courtney fishes out six individually wrapped peppermints. And as they uh, grip them in their fist and slide them along the table to you, when they pull their hand away, the peppermints suddenly seem a lot more vivid, saturated, brighter. They last five minutes. Roman pockets them. Thanks, Courtney. I will be around more. Blessed be. Sick. Uh, Knox, one thing you should consider is that you have until 
maybe around noon today before the time allotted to you to complete your mission for Laxies is uh, expended. So four to five hours as well. When you woke up this morning, Knox, the change that you observed in two of your fingers has spread during the night. And when you wake up, you look down to see that both of your hands are fully scaly, naily, and demonized. Mm. So you may want to think gloves. Okay, sure. I like that. That's a good look. That being said, when you have all kind of finished your various versions of your morning ablations, what is the next step? Is it a gather at Romans? It's always a gather at Romans. Um, I think maybe the peppermints are a failsafe, right? Also, like, don't look like ourselves in our clothes as well. Okay, so we want to do the... Let's try some regular disguises, and if those don't work, we'll pop some magical disguises. That's right? Yeah, I think I already look like Simon, and I can offer to do Kitty's hair. Yeah, let's go around and everyone tell me what your what your disguise is for going to the fair. Uh, Romans is, she's already bald, and I think she goes super girly. To Kitty and Roman dress like each other. <laughs> You have each other's clothes on site. It is uncomfortable, but I think, yeah, Roman has never worn anything, not only anything in a women's, not any, not only like any women's clothes, but also nothing smaller than two sizes larger than her. Uh, so for one, she's in fitting clothes and you have never seen this. She's exploring bodycon. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. I think um, Kitty on her regular day to day usually has her hair up in like whatever style of the time is. So I think she's letting it down, which is already a pretty big difference. And then also wearing some of Roman's clothes. So her hair is down. She's wearing like pants and just like a baggy blouse and a cap cap with a low brim. Philip has um, not shaved for a couple of days and he also hasn't had his hair touched up for about a month. So he's looking a little bit shaggy and he tries to let that go and sort of refrains from styling his hair even a little bit, although it it hurts him greatly to not. Um, He is wearing his worst shirt, which is like an almost worn through with the elbows plaid number untucked over some slacks. He is got some like scuffed up boots he found in a hall closet somewhere. He when you ask him, says he's trying to look like maybe a farmer or a school teacher or something ugly um (laughs) he's he's trying to lean into it bold Bold. (laughs) hazel is i guess she's probably wearing similar to what she wore when she has been staying at romans anyway because she didn't bring any clothes she you know is depicted as like more of her sort of lounge singer persona on these posters so she's still just kind of normally been dressing down for the past few days anyway but she uh tries to like put on like a big kind of unseasonable jacket and hunch up in it and just try to make herself look smaller than she is. So you guys are doing standard disguises. Well, what about Knox? He's got like a a white tee that is all grease stained up and he's got like grease stains on some of his face and it's in his hair. So it's kind of like a little bit more slicked conventionally back and cigarette or toothpick or both, you know, hanging out. Um, And then he's got a toolbox. Inside the toolbox will be like his gun and his, 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 well, maybe I'll switch blade in his pocket, and he's just generally uh, looking like, uh, like, like. James Dean? It's, it's, it's more, 
Ah, I guess like Brando and Streetcar is like the same kind of. I was getting Brando and Streetcar. Yeah, where did you get all the grease? Uh, the grease shop. I just. Oh yeah. How about at Greasy's? Yeah, no. Uh, just, just you know, maybe from working on his Gundam uh, brass instrument. Yeah. And yeah, he's uh he's he he's he's his kind of plan is the disguise of like oh you know like it's like the equivalent of like high vis vests get you wherever you want it's like maintenance toolbox yeah uh and then Susan is Simon and Simon is Susan like I planned this from the beginning you got that built in disguise factor when you get off the streetcar at the stop closest to the main entrance to the Lakeshore exhibition. Uh, at around 9.30 a.m., there are throngs of people. Um, in fact, you, to begin with, have to wait 20 to 30 minutes in line just to be able to approach the ticket booth. It seems like everyone in the city is out today to check out this marvelous, marvelous exhibition. Of course, Lakeshore has had exhibitions in the past, but Mayor Graham has really built that as part of her political platform and her brand, that she is deeply invested in bringing innovation to the city, new experiences, new technology. She sent you all a radio. Come check out all of the amazing like marvels that you will see at the Lakeshore exhibition. So. It's probably closer to about 10 by the time you even make it up to the ticket booth. Are there any radios outside of the exhibition that we can see? Like speaker system? You can definitely see uh, like past the fence erected throughout the grounds. There are uh, temporary speaker poles every few feet or whatever. By the time you get up to the ticket uh, booth, you can see on the inside of the booth for the ticket taker to examine a big poster of the six of you and your faces. Philip starts sweating and he squeezes your hand very tightly, Kitty. It's okay. What if they notice my distinguished voice? Just, can you disguise it? I've, I've never tried to hide my light under a bushel in such a way, but I could, I could make an attempt. This is where you offer to do all the talking. (laughs) No, I want, I I really, I want it. I really want it. (laughs) What Philip sounds like when he's trying to sort of gild to cage the, the songbird of his like oral tradition. All of you are going to roll to keep your cool to avoid uh, any mishaps at this ticket booth. I got a seven. Four. <laughs> I rolled a nine. So we have two uh, mixed successes and a fail. Okay, um, so you walk up to the ticket booth, Philip takes the lead, which is a terrible Why? decision if you ask me, but it's what we asked for. Uh, you can hear him kind of muttering and pitching down his voice as he walks up and he starts saying, I'm, I'm Philip, I'm, I'm Yulip Finakis, um, uh, Yulip, um, and, uh, he kind of very hastily and aggressively slams down like some crumpled bills that he slides in the ticket booth and he says, six tickets now. <laughs> The ticket taker uh, uncomfortably takes the bills, counts them, and throws them into the till and starts rolling out the tickets when uh, she looks up, stops chewing her gum, and uh, her eyes pass over all of you and take a moment to alight on each of your faces. She squints for a second and she says, um, Do you mind waiting just one second? Sorry. I need to get change. And she stands up and you see her hustle deeper into the ticket booth. Philip looks back at you, Kitty, and he says, what do we do? Wait, I, I can do normal. What do we do? I think we got to make a run for it. Philip, 
reaches his arm underneath the like opening of the glass where he slid the money in and tries to like claw the thing of tickets that she left sitting on the table and he manages to pull a strip of them and uh yank it um and in doing so you can see the glass of the ticket slot dig into his arm for a second and as he pulls out a string of tickets with a manic grin on his face you can see blood start to leak through the forearm of his plaid shirt he uh frantically rips off individual tickets hands them to each of you and hustles all of you towards the uh the gate the turnstile and he says, Kitty, I don't think I'll be able to, to hide myself too well in, in my current uh, uh, condition. Take that ticket. He says, I'm, I'm going to. Um, I'll distract them and uh, I'll circle back. And once I'm all cleaned up, I'll, I'll find you again. Just go. Just go. There's no time. Just go. OK, um, good luck. And the five of you speed towards the ticket taker. Philip starts turning on his heel and immediately marching in the other direction. And after a few seconds, the ticket taker girl comes back to the booth and she's got her manager with her. And you can see she's going, you know, she's like, oh, looking at where the tickets have been ripped. Then she's looking out. Then she's seeing Philip walking away. Then she's pointing over at Philip. And that's the last thing you see, Kitty, before you get pressed in by the throng of the crowd and through the turnstile into the fairground. There are warm, enticing smells from a variety of food stalls. There are burgers, there's hot dogs. Someone today, just now, is inventing beaver tails mm. for the first time. There's ice cream of every possible color and flavor. And uh, as well, there are lots of um, pavilions and displays. Again, the principal, Evelyn Graham's kind of uh, biz of uh, new technology. There are new models of automobile that are proudly displayed on a large uh, kind of bandshell-like stage. There are booths where people are describing the latest in cleaning technology, in electric uh, heating. There's a rudimentary kind of uh, precursor to television on display. There's uh, cameras that can shoot really precise action shots in really great technicolor. Ooh. There are all of these really exciting Technicolor is coming. I mean, that's maybe a little early, but this is like this is where these things are like we have this prototype. We've been working on this. It might come out in like five, ten years. So it's, you know, obviously you're here for business, but it's exciting. It's interesting and it's very dizzying and disorienting. I want to um, have a knife or something with me and be cutting as discreetly as I can cords to radios and speaker systems. I was thinking about that, too. Okay. What before we resolve that? What else is going on here with the lot of you? Fast walking to the spire. Okay. Where would I think that would be the the, the Rex hotspot? That's a good question. I think that um, you see in the distance something that does catch your eye, which is a uh, pavilion that is advertising all of the new types of electronic gambling machines at the Drake Casino. Yeah, that's a solid bet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I <laughs> to, to go into this place and immediately start like vandalizing the property, I do think that Kitty and Simon are going to have to roll once again to keep their cool. That was a seven. Thirteen. Thirteen? Yeah. Very cool. Okay. It's not your first time cutting electric lines randomly <laughs> like a big display. Simon, yeah, you and Kitty start making your way through doing a kind of rough circuit. It's a huge fairground. I mean, you can you can do this and it will probably help, but it's not something that you're going to be able to like systematically do across the entire fairground. I mean, even taking the time to do this is probably going to take at least another 20 minutes, putting you closer to like 1030 
uh, as you are, you know, waiting for a moment when no one's walking by, finding the place, reaching down, finding the right wire, cutting it, getting back up, making sure, looking for the next one, looking back for Susan. Simon, you managed to pull it off, no problem. You've, again, petty vandalism, not your first time. But, uh, Kitty, you rolled a seven, you said? One time, as you're looking down for one, you think you hear someone coming around the corner behind a tent. So you reach down really hurriedly, really rushed, and you uh, try to cut a wire. Only you notice you cut uh, a different colored wire than the one that you've been cutting on all the other ones. And uh, suddenly a shower of sparks erupts from the base of this pole up into your face. So you can uh, get out of the way of the spark and avoid taking harm, but it is going to attract a lot of attention as you kind of like hurl yourself backwards away from this like small electrical uh, reaction. So your options are to like take a bit of harm uh, and get some like maybe uh, recognizable burns on you or to pretty much guarantee someone's going to come over and investigate in a few seconds. I think Kitty would jump out of the way. I don't don't think she would like have time to consider those options. Kitty, you uh, yelp and you stumble backwards on the path behind this tent uh, and instantly you see a burly blonde haired man uh, poke his head out from the flap in the tent that you are behind and he runs over to you and he helps you up and he looks down and then he sees that there's a knife on the ground and he looks over and he sees the wire has been cut uh, on the fairground. And then he looks at you for a second without saying anything. What do you do, Kitty? Oh, um... Sorry, I don't know what happened. I I look down at the knife, pretend to be as shocked as he is. Like, somebody must mm-hmm. be... How strange. He, uh, he frowns and he says, You sound quite uh, disoriented, miss. I'm going to walk you over to the first aid tent now. Maybe you can just sit down and have a cup of water. Oh, um... Thank you. Thank you so much. He walks you away. And uh, of course, you don't really have an opportunity to pick up the knife that is on the ground. Oh, well. Um, and it's going to cost you a bit of time as I mean, as soon as he's not going to like stay with you all morning, he's going to like take you to this tent and make you drink a cup of water. But after that, um, it's going to take like another 10 minutes, maybe 15 to get back with the rest of the group. OK, Knox, you're heading over to the Drake Casino Pavilion at the Lakeshore Exhibition. Yeah. Whoa. Rolls right off the tongue. Uh, yeah. Uh, as you walk up, you see that they have um, some uh, like a sort of you know, convention center style booth that you can kind of walk in and around. It's sort of uh, dressed up and set to be a sort of rough facsimile of the Drake, including like a potted plant in the corner, a dinky little fountain on a tabletop, and then um, a showcase of three of the newest types of slot machine or automated poker or whatever gamblers do. This is being set up in like taking over part of a park, I suppose. But uh, there's an actual like brick building here that is behind the Drake Casino uh, pavilion where you can see all of these slot machines and everything are plugged into and sneaking up into a, a high window into some kind of power supply room. What do you want to do here? Because, um, yeah, I'd like to get into the the mega structure under the false pretense of being a mechanic and try and uh, I just have in my head that, you know, the classic like you get backstage and you open up your toolkit and you kind of check your shoulders and pull out the gun and you're like, Rex you're giving Samir. me like, honestly some <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald a little yeah. bit, oh which is God. uncomfortable, um, but a, an unfortunate reality of what you've been asked to do here. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, oh well. 
Okay, uh, you you head up to this uh, structure, this building, and there is a gentleman um, who is wearing like the kind of snazzy black suit that marks him as an employee, specifically of the Drake and not of the uh, the fair that's leaning against the door. Okay, is there like a light show with this? A like, light show? Or just like lights? Like I was gonna say, like my thing was gonna be like hey, a switchboard. I got I gotta check out the switchboard. But if there's no switchboard, I'll just say like the fuse box or some shit. Okay, um, you're gonna give him an excuse, and you should again roll to persuade an NPC. Oh, seven. Okay, they modify the terms or they demand a debt. You you tell this guy you need to get in there to do some maintenance, and uh, he looks you up and down, and he is kind of like posturing pretty tough against the door, but you kind of get the sense that he's like a little bit nervous. Um, there's a lot of people around. There's a lot of kind of noise and distraction, and he says, um, sorry, I, I can't uh, let anyone in and out of here, uh, so, you know, sorry. Yeah, all right. Well, sorry. What's, uh, what's your name? Uh, yeah, my name's Polly from Minnesota. Mm. Mm. Okay, Polly. Well, all right. Well, you know, that's fine. I'll go back. I'll, I'll go all the way out and I'll go talk to your big boss man there. Give him on the phone. I'll come back. And you, don't, uh, you should. I don't think you should go and do all of all of that. What, well, Polly? Here's the deal. Okay, we're both working working class gents, right? You know, we all just want to get a dollar, get back. Appealing to the class get, solidarity. Get back home to the old ball and chain. <laughs> Oh my god, I, I hate this guy. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's, it's period appropriate. Did you just, are you insinuating that like your wife is... I mean, I don't even think he can insinuate that because he has uh, expertly rejected every person from yeah. ever getting close enough yeah. to uh, anyway, my position. Uh, we're just we're a couple of working class guys, you and I, you know, we come, we're cut from the same cloth, you and I. So here's the deal, you know, I just need to go in there. We're talking, what, let's say five minutes, in and out... It's like I'm never even there. He uh, he looks up and down. And he says, uh, "Yeah, that's fair. That's I get. You're just trying to do what you gotta do. Um, I'm gonna have to come with you and just kind of supervise your operations, just so uh, just so you know I can say that I didn't let anyone into the building unsupervised, because that's kind of my position today." All right, that's all right. That's that's good. Can you uh, actually then uh, show me? Uh, just give me a show. Give me a look around. I, I gotta end up at the fuse box, but I kind of need to get a lay of the land first and see what's going on everywhere, and then we uh, we can get on over to the fuse box there. Yeah, he uh, turns around and he unlocks the door and he uh, lets you into a cramped service corridor. And down at the end of the corridor, it opens into like a larger hallway. This looks like it is maybe um, some small like clerical building like maybe it's just on the edge of the park and it's where a bunch of things are plugged in right now um it looks pretty quiet there's like no one really around here and polly takes you down a hall and then he uh opens a door and you can see it's where the window from outside leads in there are um some big generators that are stationed in this room that some of the attractions and things are plugged into and there's a bunch of just uh like random av equipment kind of scattered along the tables polly says i don't really know how to use any of this stuff though so I, I can't really help you with that. That's all right. That's why I'm here. Uh, all right. And can you, uh, can you, uh, can we get to that fuse box now? Yeah. Whichever little, wherever it's tucked away here. Yeah. He, uh, he heads over to the corner and he like pulls out, he pulls away a big like rolling case and he indicates a, a metal box that is sitting against one of the brick walls. I bend down and like put my, my toolbox down and I unlatch and I open it 
And I think that this is a line, you know, now that uh, with all the pressures of everything mounting and the stakes being brought up, as well as I think it's time that in some ways I consider the fact that I just keep taking corruption like it doesn't matter. And there's something that's interesting about the the self-fulfilling prophecy of of my father being a, a criminal underlord and kind of unintentionally in some ways becoming more aligned that way where I want to I want to just as soon as he's looking away I want to I want to cap him in the knees with 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 one shot and and then and then I'm gonna try and like uh you know get the position of Rex out of him okay I would rather actually if it's possible to just stab him like in the back of the knees without the bang and then have the gun kind of trained on him but I want to incapacitate him first you want to do claws or gun uh, oh right! I can just do claws. Yeah, yeah. Can I just like claw, like hopefully through the back of his knee, and then and then pull out the gun? Yeah, roll to unleash an attack. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's my that's my jam. I hit him with a twelve. Fuck yeah. <laughs> he dies instantly. I assume you're gonna take something from him, which is his like mobility currently. I really want to have him at like a disadvantage that I don't have to worry about. Like the classic, if I train a gun, he like snaps it out of my hand like i want him to be kind of you know like i said incapacitated for all intents and purposes yeah Knox, you open up your toolbox you rummage around for a few seconds hopefully long enough for polly to get bored and start checking his uh dms on instagram then as quietly as you can you pull off one of the oversized almost <laughs> i picture them almost as like bordering on like welding mitts because you have like super long sharp <laughs> fingers like yeah, these super industrial gloves and you as stealthily as possible try to turn one or pull a glove off and then when polly uh looks back towards the door idly you lash out with one hand and um you know you're not necessarily an expert on like incapacitation techniques specifically but it's not too hard to uh go for the back of the knee to get him down on the floor and maybe just to pounce on his back and with a couple quick swipes finish your work polly's screams are kind of muffled against the concrete floor and the ropes wait no i don't want to kill him i don't want to kill him him. i didn't say but he's gonna scream Oh, oh, yeah, okay, I would like to try and cover his mouth. That was part of it, too, I guess, but... Yeah, yeah no, I'm just I, I'm just saying you, like, knock him down, you kind yeah, of yeah, finish yeah. it up, and then um, Polly, Polly screams, die down to, like, a moan as you, I guess, flip him over and look down at him. Yeah, uh, I I kind of, I guess, produce from my trousers my my uh, lovely gift from Jillian. Uh, I, I put it to his, to his forehead, and... Uh, no, I, I meant what I said before that, you know, it could have gone either way. And we're, you and I were, were cut from the same cloth, but uh, today's my day, not your day. And if you want to see the next one, you just got to tell me where Rex is hiding. That's it. Cold sweat uh, drips down from his forehead onto the concrete floor. He is uh, gasping and he says, He's upstairs. You can't get to him. He's got too many guys. Just, just let me go. Upstairs where? End of the hall. Big double doors. How many How many guys? Well, he's got... He's got guys and then he's got guys, if you catch my dream. No, I don't. I want you to be specific. He's got uh, big, scaly, cly, evil monster guys, too. How many? Three, four guys and, and two or so guys. Try and do the classic pistol bash, knock him out type of deal. Okay. I guess you can roll to unleash an attack again to try to incapacitate, to make him unconscious. Oh, I can't just leave him. Uh, you're true. 12. Okay, he's out cold. Okay, I go back to the fuse box. 
Mm-hmm. Are they labeled well? Yeah. Is there one that is like for upstairs? There's like a row that are for upstairs and there are three that are marked like offices. Right. I think I want to switch off the ones that I think would be where uh, he was describing in an effort to hopefully like uh, either divide them or, or like have them flush out like someone come to, to come see what's going on and, and perhaps thin the numbers by even just one or two that way. Absolutely. You, uh, I think you just wrench the three office ones and figure one in three chance isn't too bad. And you slam those fuses and upstairs you can hear the sudden uh, shouting and confusion as uh, whoever's working upstairs finds themselves in darkness. It is still coming up on like 1045 in the morning, so it's not like the building is plunged into pitch blackness or anything. Um, You still have like a good amount of sunlight coming in from the little window at the top of this room where the cables are sneaking in. But um, it's definitely dark and you can definitely hear um, motion and uh, sound footsteps coming from upstairs for sure what do you do i think i need help (laughs) but i don't know how i'm gonna get it yeah we're kind of doing our own thing yeah having been separated from the other two and knowing what nox is up to is it fair for me to stumble upon this scene yeah that's like he told you guys he was going to the drake casino pavilion I don't think it's unforeseeable that uh, you hear the sounds of um, some strange growls or sharp claws coming from the open window where you see power cables snaking behind the uh, slot machines. You have your little cone of water. All right, I'm going to follow the cords to see what's going on. Door is unlocked and you can hear the sounds of someone uh whimpering and then uh, heavy kind of sharp impact and then the whimpering stop from the next room. I'll go crack a door to see what's going on. Kitty, you crack the door and you see Knox having just dispatched one of uh, Rex's henchmen who was guarding the door. What's going on? What are you doing? Rex is upstairs. I'm gonna kill him. I'm out of ideas, but I'm also out of time. You can see now that he's taken off the glove that the scales are starting to spread up his forearm. I want to cut back to Roman and Simon on the grounds. Presumably Hazel is here as well, uh, slouching in a corner after winning a great big teddy bear at ski ball. What are you three doing? Roman, you wanted to make your way over to the spire. Uh, Susan and Roman, Lennox spire time? Yeah. What's the play? We got to get in there. Sneak inside. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's uh, fencing with like no gate kind of surrounding off declaring an edge of the fairground and then past that there are uh clearly like a a cadre of well i have to say it in episode 20 because there's really no other they're cops okay it's unfortunate but like the who would the mayor have to guard their Um, like personal city property we have delete the whole podcast Mm. right now there's definitely an unmanned wall that we can find that's not a door and there would be no reason for a cop to be patrolling it because it's not a door, correct? Just like an expansive wall? Sure. I don't know what that, what that does for you, but okay. Is Roman going to delete the I, wall? <laughs> I take a picture of the wall and try to delete it. Okay. Roman and Susan and Hazel circle around to, uh, and it's like kind of like 
in order to not attract suspicion by like hopping a fence, you have to walk like a long way around the edge of the fencing of the fairground uh, to get to a part of the base of the tower that is not like every single door is covered because it's like, you know, the day. Um, I think, Roman, that when you reach up and you pull the camera out, position yourself and take a nice, beautifully composed shot of like an expanse of sheer concrete wall, nothing happens when you pull the camera away, except that the film counter ticks up one more. Okay, two left. Fuck. Well, I'm out of ideas. Uh, Is there like a cop car I can set on fire or something? Sure. Cool. (laughs) Roman, it's time to do crimes. Hey, I'm in. <laughs> I think the cops might scatter if uh, the transportation was suddenly up in flames. Can we see a cop car from where we are? Sure, yeah. They're all parked on like the kind of nearest main street that's been blocked off. There's probably about three or four of them in a line down. Um, there are at least one or two cops mingling by the cars. That's where they eat their donuts. Roman will firebend and take a corruption... Uh, Blowing up the cop cars from the closest car to the farthest so that they are, like, being pulled further away from the spire rather than closer. You reach inside yourself to access the power of nature's fury. And at this point, you started a few fires. You've put out a few fires. It comes to you quite naturally now, Roman. You clench your fist, and at that same moment, beneath the hood of the first car, there's a huge explosive burst. The hood detaches and flies up and rolls and clanks into the street as the engine bursts into flames. And then a few seconds later, another clench of your fist, the car behind it, the car behind that, the fourth car down the street in a line. The cops that are standing by the cars One of them gets uh, hit bad by some piece of car machinery that explodes out from the hood and he goes down on the ground unmoving. The other one screams and he pulls out a walkie talkie and he screams into it for backup over on the street. You see rushing over from the spire, the closest place, four, five cops. They're definitely leaving at least one or two to watch the door, but the bulk of them are going over to help this uh, emergent serious situation you're standing far back enough that i think you are probably out of view like no one's looking in your direction looking in the flaming car direction so i think that you are pretty safe to uh, have caused this diversion sick well hand-to-hand combat is a little bit less my thing and a little bit more you two so you're up yeah let's go threaten some cops (sighs) hazel sighs she says you know i'm not uh as strong as i used to be you've got a gun don't you and i know how to use it shall we Lead the way. You lead Hazel and Roman back around to the entrance to the spire. And this time you do hop the fence and the officer on patrol looks up at you. His head snaps up immediately as he sees you uh, hopping the fence and making a beeline straight to the tower. He says, uh, "That that's enough. No further. You need to take a step back right now. Oh, no, I insist. Sir, it's not safe. There's a fire. You need to clear the area. I threaten him with my gun. Do you have a move for that? I do called do you feel lucky and when you persuade an npc while wielding a two harm or greater weapon you can roll with blood instead of heart okay roll to persuade this npc it's a nine i think he is going to step out like to the side and see like if the gun kind of stays trained on him if he would just want the door and then he's going to kind of lean over to his collar and he's going to press like the more subtle walkie button and just be like okay we've got an interception at the northeastern door we want you to the northeastern door, you to the northeastern door. Fuck this guy. (laughs) 
Hopefully the door locks from the inside. And the three of you head inside Lennox Spire. The clock strikes about 11, I would say. Inside um, the office where Rex is stationed during the fair, you, Kitty, and you, Knox, creep down the hallway, and then you freeze when you hear a pair of footsteps descending the central stairs of this building. What do you do? Oh, uh, what's our immediate vicinity? Like, what's our surroundings? You are sort of in the the landing where the stairs come down. Uh, in five or ten seconds, when the people make their way down the stairs, they'll be able to catch sight of you unless you go somewhere else. You both have your guns drawn. You can hear the sound of uh, two voices kind of in low, urgent tones discussing the situation as they make their way slowly and carefully down the stairs. Okay, hide your, hide your weapon. And I'm going to hide my weapon and... Do you know about kids? Uh, Have you heard? They're just... No! Holy shit. I I mean, yes. I'm going to (laughs) say... Oh my god, thank god there's somebody here. Thank it, we heard something and then that you're you're Yeah, I'm real drunk. Is somebody um <laughs> sorry, uh, ignore him. Where he, is slot machines? Your employees, something happened to him. I don't know. I didn't see anyone do it, but he's he's hurt. He looks like he got hit over the head. The two employees have reached the foot of the stairs. One of them is a uh, short woman with curly brown hair. The other is an older man, and they both train their guns on each of you. And uh, the woman says, okay, ma'am, please uh, please be quiet. We're going to get this sorted out. Just going to ask you to keep your hands up, and we're going to move into the area, okay? You too, sir. Where, there's, where are they going to move us to? They're like, they're like, we can go talk, look at whatever she's saying to look at, but... You guys are going to come with us, hands up, fully. You don't escorted. love that, do you? Well, it's just like, is this the best opportunity? Uh, okay, sure, sure. Okay. Uh, hands up, they draw close to you, and they uh, push us in themselves behind you, and they say, okay, ma'am, why don't you walk us there, and you tell us what's happening, okay? How did you get in here? The door was open. Why did you get in here? I heard a sound. And then you stepped inside, and then what happened? And then I heard y- you, um, so we thought... We should tell somebody who works here what happened. Okay, that's thank you, man. That's that's plenty. And they uh, step you up to the open door, and yeah, you're standing in the doorway. They're standing behind you with guns out, trained, and they see the guy on the floor, knocked out cold, his uh, knees kind of slashed up to prevent moving. The older man swears uh, under his breath. He he looks down at the two of you, Kitty and Knox, and he makes a judgment call. And then he turns to the woman and he says, "Can you wash them while I go tell Rex?" And the woman says, yeah, be quick. And the older man uh, turns and lopes off back up to the stairs. And you are standing with your hands up with a woman who's got her gun trained on both of you. She looks like she is um, 0% nonsense today. Um, And you're standing in the room with this passed out guy. Sounds like this lady got to die. Well, she can only have it on one of us at a time. Mm-hmm. You've you've decreased the threat from a 200% to a 100%. I'm going to start pretending to panic like... I don't know. I'm so sorry. I like I heard I heard I think I saw somebody run out. Yeah, he's going to he he's going to bleed out. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a trained doctor or well, a medic. I was I, I was what? a medic and he's going to bleed out. Your friend here is going to die. In the war, he was a medic. It's true. The war. Now, you look, know if the you war. just let me just you know the one. <laughs> go and 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 it won't take but 10 seconds. I just got to just got to at least cut off the blood flow or something else that's just gonna pour right out of that hole in his knee there. The knee is kind of the you know, the most vulnerable. They call it part the heart of the leg. I think that his uh <laughs> ver 
blockety uh, artery has been slashed, and that's a very important with, artery. <laughs> without that <laughs> artery, he's surely going to die. And 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 I mean, he's our best way to get the information right now, right? And prove our innocence. So it's in your best interest, and frankly, my best interest, if you just let this happen. And your pitches let me go treat him. Did you put the gloves back on? I probably actually, based on what we're doing, I'd say put them back on. It would make pretty. It wouldn't make a lot of sense if I'm like, we're gonna go sneaky, but I'm gonna like make myself completely incriminated if we get caught. So I feel like I, yeah, right. Okay. They still probably look weird. Okay. If you're saying I just want to go over and like um, tend to this guy, then she says, okay. Um, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna follow my instructions and do them as I say. Okay. Sure. Okay, you can walk over to him now. Okay, you can kneel down. You're gonna find a sidearm in his uh, interior jacket pocket. You need to slide that down along the floor over to me. Yeah, the maneuver here is because my my Susan gun TMTM. Uh, <laughs> it's like the way I, I, I I'm, I'm keeping it is like I put it kind of classic, like just tucked into the back uh, of my trousers, and then like like my my shitty grease shirt is just like hanging over it. So I want to like. You know, the sleight of handish of like taking it out, like look at my left hand while you don't see with the right hand and like slide it across and then produce with the right hand the 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 Susan TM gun. I think to do that maneuver, I would ask you to roll mislead, distract, or trick. Okay. Kind of doing all those things. Mine's minus one though, that's a six. My little himbo. Oh, that's yeah. a fail. Can I like help by um, just panicking <laughs> is there any way my panicking could help is that i just distract this lady Can he use his you want to lend a hand yes please uh you would need to roll with wild um that's a seven okay on a seven to nine you expose yourself to danger entanglement or cost Knox, you uh attempt your maneuver and uh, slide the gun across the floor as you reach behind and deftly pull out the pistol from your waistband. Kitty, sensing a moment to kind of just get in the way, you uh, scream as though the gun was like a fucking possum crossing the floor, like you make it out to be like so much scarier than a piece of metal. And uh, I think you uh, try to really distract her by clutching her arm while she's focusing on Nox. Um, And I think it works and Nox is able to fully get the maneuver off and uh, she doesn't even get the gun from the floor because she's so distracted by what's going on. But I think that when you grab her, she just kind of lapses into pure instinct and she reaches across and she grabs you around the neck uh, quite severely and places the gun instinctively up to your head. So um, she kind of does that mechanically and then she sees the gun on the floor and then she sees Knox holding a gun to her. She says, you two can just go now. How does that sound? Just get out of here. Well, maybe I'll just take the shot, and if you know, if I hit Kitty, whatever. <gasps> Dude, <laughs> just how dare you? Jory's jaw is on the floor. How dare you? I'm like a decent, like okay at best shot. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, I don't even think that's the first Whoa. time you said that. <laughs> so, like, is it shocking? Do you want to take a shot? No. Um... You can do it. Go for it. Uh, well, no, we have a we have a standoff here right now. All right, well, here we are on closer to even footing. How do you want to play this? My partner's gonna be back in fifteen seconds. That's I don't see how that's good. You know, oh, damn it! <laughs> if I kick her in the shin, am I gonna get shot in the head? Probably. 
But I love a good kick in the shin. <laughs> I wait, like. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, here's my play. I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay, uh, I mark another level of corruption. Uh, I, I summon my demons that work on behalf of me for a scene. And these were your like la little, your Nox's little laxies. <sighs> Last time they were like hounds or something, yeah. Okay, you can roll to unleash an attack with uh, these hoons. Das hoons. Der hoons? Die hoons. I don't know German. Der hoons? Stop asking me to know German. Hoof. Why don't you know German? Uh, seven. Okay, um, so either you're going to, they're going to get a chance to um, inflict harm on you or you're going to find yourself in a bad spot. Well, what could be a bad spot here? Yeah, don't what could test you? me. <laughs> uh, yeah, whatever. We ain't getting out of this unscathed. I'll take a, a, a potential harm. As Nox under his breath, suddenly um, from like emerging as though they were sleeping from under these like snaked piles and coils of cables, these like wriggling, lean, hungry, mangy looking demon dogs emerge with glistening barbs on their laxy scorpion tails. And uh, Nox just jerks his head roughly over to the guard holding Kitty and uh, three of these hounds pounce. The guard screams and she shoves Kitty roughly aside. Kitty, you probably like smash into a, a pile of equipment. Maybe you land on something soft, I don't know. But the lady just trains and uh, empties her clip on these dogs. She does manage to uh, strike one of them and it, it goes down. It looks like it might still be alive? Question, what does that mean? Still um, undead. Still undead, still active. But one of the others uh, gets you pretty bad in the leg, knocks, and you feel your, your uh, your balance kind of topple for a moment as you uh, buckle a little bit and then right yourself as uh, she's clipped you. Um, you're gonna take one harm from that. Is the dog just gonna kill her? So far our ratio of you like summoning three hounds to like a single human has been like, hounds are gonna do it. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that, that that's fine. And then hopefully they catch up. They'd be nice to bolster our, our frontal assault here. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea for this scene. So uh, Kitty and Knox with uh, some freshly fed hellhounds on your heels, uh, you start striding your way back into the hallway, back up the stairs, this time feeling maybe a bit more confident. Actually, it's still pretty terrifying. From upstairs, you hear the sound of shattering glass and a bunch of people yelling, um, but you're not sure what it means. Inside uh, Lennox Spire, Roman, Hazel, and Simon have entered. Um, you can see that the door you've entered leads into a like nicely furnished lobby. Uh, it's currently not staffed. There is an elevator uh, in front of you, but there are some stanchions, placards, signs placed in front of it, uh, letting anyone who comes here know that the elevator is not ready to be used yet. And then uh, there is a door off to one side leading to presumably like a service stairwell. And then there are other doors leading around to other kind of facilities of the main floor, like a washroom or a staff room or whatever. Uh, but there doesn't seem to be anyone around. Is there anything to barricade the doorway? Yeah, there's um, there's like a small seating area with like a, just like a couple of mall style benches that would or look like they're probably pretty heavy. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I want to keep the cops out. You drag some uh, benches loudly, scraping the tile floor over to the door and pile them roughly in front so that hopefully no pesky cops can get back into our storyline. Stairs or elevator? Uh, well, do you think the sign is right and that the lift isn't ready to use? I mean, it's worth trying, right? You uh, walk over to the elevator and hit the call button um, and you hear the ding and like the little light tracker thing goes down to ground floor, but the doors don't open. Let's pry the door open. Okay, you pry with what, sorry? Uh, 
<laughs> the three of our bodies. <laughs> Just fing- fingies? Fingies? Do we want to do fingies? I don't know. what We don't really have anything else. When, you know, in this world, all you do got is them fingies. It's true. <laughs> yeah, if there's if there's nothing around that would help, then. Hazel, like, scurries off to, like, examine the room and see if she can find anything as the two of you just start, like, Jesus, like, a heavy fucking metal elevator door jamming your nails in, trying to, like, exert enough force to slide it open. If any, would this, like, make sense for let it out? Is there, like, something you can do to, like, you know? Like, because I think it's just, like, so hard to imagine you guys just, like, yep. So maybe roll let it out if you want to uh, try to use your supernatural powers. Okay, do we both need to do that? No, I think only one of you. Yeah. Although I did just roll a 12. (laughs) So, like, what do you see? What do you see as everyone just, like like getting like gale winds to like bust this open like using some fairy like what do you think i it's it's for a moment kind of the same like you think you see it for a second and then you're like oh that was weird of you see roman change for a second and there's like bark like skin and you can kind of see these like it looks like there's like pebbles or some like rock formation that's like rooting her to the ground okay roman groots this door open and uh with like a, a loud metallic uh, groaning, like opening the world's biggest and toughest can of kidney beans, this elevator door, it actually kind of like bends in the middle and uh, is like crudely crumpled and shoved to the side. Uh, behind the door, the elevator car is there and it looks like lit up. Sick. <laughs> I think I, I put my hands on Roman's shoulder and I just like, God, I love you. <laughs> I do want to make this a thing where Roman is like, I think, I think, Sue Simon might be hitting on me because she called me beautiful the other day and she's like, you are a great friend as well. (laughs) Susan is easily seduced by magic. (laughs) Nailing this. Inside the elevator, you can see that there are buttons for uh, like offices on about um, 12 floors that you imagine probably start like a bit above this like kind of expansive lobby and then there's a button at the top marked uh, observation deck to the top simon you hit the button for the observation deck and the elevator starts sliding up like i have to wonder i mean like this is probably there was an elevator in the drake but that was like that kind of clangy golden door like you can almost see like the way the the cables are moving but this experience again everything inside the the spire is brand new and like of a technological level that you're not accustomed to like the way this thing moves so silently it glides so smoothly there's no sound of like scraping or cranking and you can't see any visible mechanics just like a beautiful sheer panel of like melamine coated buttons um and i know you've got bigger things on the mind but i just want to like make sure to keep that in the in the world of it in the vision um and it ticks you up past the 12th floor and towards the observation deck and suddenly the uh elevator stops moving the lights inside the elevator car go out and then a strip of uh dim blue emergency lights uh, outline the corners of the top of the roof and you hear just silence as you are standing in this elevator car halfway between floors presumably two questions yeah what floor were we on when it closed when it stopped it was going from the 12th floor to the observation deck so we're like we're pretty close was the elevator kind of sputtering and then died or did it stop abruptly to give us the sense like oh somebody might have stopped this it was quite yeah it was quite abrupt and and sudden how do we get out of an elevator (laughs) 
Hazel says, we're, we're closer to the top than the bottom. So if there's any way we can go up, I mean, can we like cut or, or shoot something? Roman, didn't you tell me one time that you could be a bird? I know it might be like bad memories. No, I liked being a bird. I like it better than being a, a person with feet that can fall out from under me in this death box. I mean, I can be a bird, but I don't know how you guys are going to get out. I will... If I turn into two different animals, is that two different corruption moves? Yes. I guess you could probably find, like, a climbing animal, too. Yeah, because I'm thinking, like, a bird can fly out of here, but can't, for example, pry open the door again. Mm-hmm. I've already done bird life. I want to do monkey life. Let's do monkey life. I will take a corruption again. Oh, boy. We kind of bent the doors permanently, right? Yeah, you you got the door, so you can definitely, like, pull that off completely if you want to. Yeah. Susan gets the door off the elevator. Monkey Roman, Spider Roman, whatever Roman. Spider Monkey. Spider Monkey Roman. Climb and clamber up the back of this elevator shaft. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like it's literally like a concrete box with, like, weird mechanical bits, like, sticking out every few feet. It's plenty climbable. Um, and you find yourself on like the lip of the door of the observation deck, which is closed. And there's a little, um, release latch in case anyone needs to open the door from the interior. Okay. I will release it. The door opens and, um, you like the light of a beautiful summer morning over Lakeshore floods in from these like floor to ceiling glass windows that line this entire section of the observation deck. And the first thing you see as the door starts to creak open is like an incredible overview landscape of Lakeshore from the fairgrounds right at your feet, all the way out to Fairside and Fairmont Park, which is now like a pile of uh, very creative like rubble and dirt. You're pretty sure you can even see the corner where Jim Stevens Emporium is. You can see ash and smoke in the north end of the city where the factory burned down. To your left, looking south, you can see the lake and the dock facilities spilling out along the shoreline. Like, even though you were a bird at one point, you were looking at the city with like bird eyes, which have very different functions than human eyes or monkey eyes. I'm assuming you're turning back into a human at this point. Um, No, I haven't yet. (laughs) Okay, Monkey Roman knuckle walks forward uh, and like whoop, whoop, against the wall. And like, I'm, it, it's it's none of you, literally none of you have had the capacity to see this view before from a building this high. And it's quite remarkable. Um, and after a moment, you probably recall your friends who might have bananas for you if you help them. So <laughs> you head over to the elevator panel and uh, you hit the observation deck button, hoping it's going to work. And blessedly, it does. The uh, light flickers back on in the shaft. You can see the little ticker going up from 12 to O. And after a moment, a very stressed out and nervous looking Susan and Hazel are standing in front of you, uh, peeking from behind the like shredded accordion doors of the elevator shaft. I still don't want to change back. Understandable. Okay. When you've got it good, you, you've got it good. Give um, me banana. <laughs> challenging. Strange. Okay, we gotta look for the um, the control room. Simon, you gasp as you see uh, something, a huge shadow pass over the window and, and scatter diffuse on the floor of the observation deck. Something like a wing 
and as you step over to the window and look out, you can see a demon. Unmistakable. One of the ones from Rex's circle, a massive bird-like creature with a long, flexible neck like a flamingo and a wicked sharp beak like a falcon with little barbs along the edges of its long scarlet wings. And as you watch, it turns, swoops, and dives down into the observation deck, shattering the glass, bringing in a gust of cold morning air as this thing fights its way into the observation deck to fuck you all the way up. Oh my god. (laughs) That's so scary. (laughs) That like we're up so high and now a huge portion of the window is broken and it's windy. Like, I don't know. I don't, uh, we don't really have a good handle on um, the mayor and her security protocols. Well, it's quite interesting, in fact, because of course this being one of the 13 demons that Kitty released, and you really can thank Kitty for this scene, frankly. (laughs) Presumably this creature was sent, or like, it seems like Rex was working on regaining control of the demons in the past couple of days. So you would have to assume that this thing is seeking you out quite purposefully, like it's rather uh, hard to imagine otherwise this bird coincidentally seeing you and coming to like drill you into the ground. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Now that we're out of an elevator, I feel very comfortable shooting a gun. Good. We need that. So I would like to do that. Okay. Rule to unleash an attack. Come on. No whammies. God bless. It's a 12. No whammy. Oh, what are you gonna do? Uh, deal it extra harm for a total of four. Okay. This is your holy gun. Yes. You you take up a defensive stance, making sure that Monkey Roman and Hazel are safely behind you. Thanks. And as uh, this bird, which has like milky scarred eyes, looks down at you, uh, a word in a grotesque mockery of the English language croaks out at you in this bird's like dying raspy voice. It says Demon Slayer <laughs> Sick I love it. You've got a bit of a reputation <laughs> Good, 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 good And then you shoot it? Yeah. Do you have a do you have like a pithy one liner in response to that? That's my name don't wear it out. Tell me what happens A lot of, a lot of big emotions today uh, I think, I think getting the getting the wolves back into it was was kind of exciting, and then um, being in this crowd of of people, and then you know setting a bunch of stuff on fire. It, it's just it's been a very um, like rising anxiety day, perhaps um, a metaphor now that we're at the top of a tower and like peak anxiety times after getting out of an elevator that stopped. And elevators are so new, and everything is new, and can't shoot stuff in an elevator and that's not a good position to be in um so a lot of a lot of spiraling kind of anxious thoughts here but i i feel very competent or confident in like roman and her ability to back me up but one thing that never scares me is a demon the only reason that like susan flinched at all is because a huge sheet of glass broke fair as i go to like shield my eyes i like whip out the gun and like take the other arm down 
and uh, I just try and like blow it back out the window. Susan, you launch a bullet that radiates with holy light directly into the breast of this horrible bird monster, uh, and you can hear a guttural croak escape its wicked beak as it uh, flaps backward and attempts to right itself from the force. Um, Hazel uh, pulls out her pistol and she starts to move off to one side toward the window to get a good flanking angle on you. Roman, monkey, what do you do? Yeah, I was thinking getting on it and distracting it and then if Susan blows it out the window, it's like pretty easy for a monkey to just like hop back. Like agility is kind of its thing, right? Hanging, swinging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Roman, you you scamper up uh, and you latch on this thing. It's, yeah, the tips of its feathers, like, along the edge of the wing are barbed, too, which is kind of, like, horrifying. This thing is, like, a, a abomination in the eyes of Christ. Um, and you you scamper over its, like, slick, greasy feathers onto its back. And, you know, even with your arms, you couldn't, like, wring its neck if you wanted to. It's quite big. But at least you're, like, pretty firmly positioned at the base of it. And maybe, you know, you can maybe try to get up to its head and, like, go for its eyes or something. It is going to... Uh, attempt to with its head like snap down and drive its beak into susan the demon slayer jillian is anxious about like the idea like i i'm not scared of heights so much as i'm like scared that the glass is gonna break well it already has and it already has and that's like literally my worst nightmare (laughs) that's what you're not here for got it it's tricky it's tricky you go up into the glass tower I'm um, <laughs> yeah. so very distracted by the idea that there's like this horrible open glass window that I don't want to fall out of. High whipping winds are like blowing through and tossing your jacket around all cool. Um, this thing's going to try to come at you with a beak. Uh, what do you do? Is there is there a way to like get out of the way? If you tell me about that, I think there's room for like escaping, but it's like big. It kind of fills like a lot of this space. So what do you think like physically you're doing in the space? Since since the initial shot didn't blow it out the window, yeah. which would have been uh, too cool. Maybe I just try and like r- run around so like it's not like the wind and the window aren't like such an immediate threat. Do you want to try to like lure it into a different part of the observation deck? Yeah. Okay, then I think you can roll to escape a situation with that. Seven. Seven. Uh. Choose two. You suffer harm, you end up in another dangerous situation, you leave something important behind, you owe someone a debt, or you give into your base nature and mark corruption. Makes sense in the fiction to probably suffer harm. Okay, so I think that you are going to try to lure this uh, giant bird demon deeper, or like further along the observation deck away from the shattered window. And you're doing that mostly by like casting, you know, single frantic glances over your shoulder as you back up, trying to keep your gun trained on this thing. Roman is like hanging on to its neck as it's starting to claw its way. Like it's really, you know, an it's a huge bird. It's an awkward fit for this like small kind of intimate observation deck of this tourist location. And uh, Hazel has very riskily screamed and flattened herself against the glass to let this thing pass by her while she tries to get a clean shot on it. Susan, you feel your back bump into a small wooden table and uh, you crouch to your knees and scoop behind it as this thing smashes its beak into the tabletop and wood splinters fly everywhere and um, the metal uh, stand of the table is gouged a little bit and you feel it smash into your head. You take one harm. Uh, but this big table you've used as an impromptu shield has blocked the birds, uh, the majority of its attack. 
Um, and now you find that uh, it has wedged itself in, like even part of its butt and tail were like partially outside of the glass still when it first entered the observation deck. And now that it's moving forward, it's like really hunched up. Its wings are kind of pinned against both sides. And as you stand there, you realize that there is a wall behind you leading to some interior office. You can't go around 360 degrees. And uh, the bird is in front of you and the bulk of its body completely like blocks the space. It's be very hard for you to go forward past it. So you've got the wall behind you, the bird in front of you, and it's looking like it's rearing up to peck again. What do you do? Open the door to the office. Okay. Uh, you reach behind you again with your free hand and open the door. And uh, thankfully it gives and you shut it behind you, leaving Hazel and uh, Roman to handle this thing? Yeah, because I'm no good with, like, my back against the wall here. Okay. <laughs> Roman, you watch as uh, Simon dips. What the fuck? You're a monkey on a big bird's back. The dream. How big? Big. You, you both your arms are, like, reaching around its neck. The base of it. Which, like, is a few feet long. Okay, so it's, like, elephant-sized. I think all of the grand demons are kind of giving me elephant realm, although the wingspan definitely increases that also. Hold on, sorry, I have a new thing. It's called Wither. You imbue your touch with the power to kill. I'm liking that. Cool. Three harm intimate AP. Okay. You have that? Yeah, well, because I have the corruption move that gives me all my fairy powers. Now is a great time, I think. Great. I'd love to use Wither. Okay. <laughs> and I, I guess I have to unmonkey myself. You probably unmonkey yourself. Um, I'm gonna. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think you would still be unleashing an attack here um, once you've unmonkeyed with your Wither ability, with your Wither shins. So go for it. Uh, six. Oh no, it's a fail. However, we do still have Hazel here. And Hazel helps. I think Hazel can help. I think you are going to turn back into human Roman, and as your grip slips from around the neck, this bird is going to rear back and attempt to uh, snap at you with the beak and turn you into little Roman chunks. And before it does, Hazel screams and fires her gun into the roof, uh, distracting the bird. And it squawks and turns around, and uh, it pecks her pretty bad. She, You see her go down in like a flurry of beak and feathers, Roman, but she gives you an opportunity to uh, to increase your roll and to wither this shit up. Oh god, okay, I wither this shit. I gotta make it count, because Hazel's a little fucked and I'm gonna have to, have to help yeah, that. I think you once again grasp around its neck and this time you feel the force of your fairy magic like allowing you to squeeze the life out of this thing. Um, it's quite visceral. I mean, you were just a monkey for like half an hour. Uh, suddenly this thing's like squawks and chirps as it attacks Hazel, uh, choke off and fall silent. And you can feel uh, the force pressing down on your hands as you squeeze the base of this thing's neck. And then suddenly uh, you can see the head rear up sort of woozy and then slump heavily, cracking the concrete floor uh, against the side of the observation deck. And this thing can't, I couldn't even say it falls over because it's already so jammed into this tower, but it stops moving, barring like a final twitch of the talon on the floor. It seems still. Time to check if Hazel's okay. Hazel's on the ground. She is uh, bleeding heavily from her scalp onto her face. She looks really uh, disoriented. 
Oh boy, this is a, a corrupt day for me. It's the literal finale. It's fine, we're here. Uh, that's... I'm gonna heal her. Okay. So that's that heals two harm, nature's caress. That's a full corruption move, so I'm moving up the trap. So you're gonna get a new corruption move? I am. I think it's interesting to say that my corruption is manifesting in, like, I'm kind of glitching out now. Like, you are much more regularly seeing this, like, Arcadia Roman. Yeah, Hazel opens her eyes and she flinches a bit when she catches sight of your face until you remember to sort of reset um, and exert power over uh, your appearance. Kitty and, and uh, Knox scar facing her around this uh, <laughs> this office um, back on the fairground. Yeah, you hear the glass shatter upstairs. You uh, call your hellhounds to you, Knox. Kitty, you were just like, hmm, there's some hellhounds here. I, I think we just got to rush upstairs now. You rush up the stairs, the hellhounds leading the charge, and two more guards appear at the top that the dogs eagerly sink into. Um, more of the dogs take some hits. They do have you know, satanic healing powers, but they're not completely invulnerable. Um, and you see that they're starting to slow a little bit, but they managed to fell both of these guards. You can see at the end of the hall, a huge window uh, looking out over the rest of the park has been shattered. And you can see in the distance, uh, a large red bird shape is coursing away up, up towards the sky. It does seem indeed like Rex set, sicked his pet on whatever intruder was rumored to be in the tower today. Which means that Rex has fewer uh, guards surrounding him. And as you march down the hallway, you can see big double doors at the end, like Polly mentioned before he bled out on the floor of the, of the electrical room. There's a pair of big double doors. Every guard in the uh, hall has been dispatched by the hounds, Dehunden. And I would say maybe after taking all their hits, there's one who is still in like good working condition, and there are two that are still upright but are like badly bleeding, or they're like walking with limps. They're moving quite slowly. Um, they can take hits, but they can't take hits indefinitely. You're standing outside of these double doors. Uh, it uh, in we go. Uh, I guess I'll sh I'll I'll uh, shifty shift. I'm on an eight. Okay, uh, I'll. I think gain armor, gain one armor. Mm-hmm. Oh, if you're working a job for your patron, I definitely am, choose one more. If you mark corruption, choose one more. Well, let's choose two more then, baby. Uh, I heal two harm and uh, I guess demonic weapon, which gives me uh, a three harm weapon. Three harm hand, which is what I want to take. You open the double doors, you see a uh, sunny office that it looks like Rex has been stationed out of during the uh, day of the exhibition. There are some of his kind of trappings. He doesn't like to go far from the Drake Casino. When he does, he brings a little bit of luxury with him, including in this case, uh, a very nice ornamental rug covering the center of the floor. There's a big oaken desk that you're not sure was in this room to begin with. It looks like he's taken a sort of regular office room and jazzed it up, if you'll forgive me. There are a lot of people. Well, there are a lot of creatures in this room. Uh, Rex himself is standing behind the desk, watching the door carefully uh, on his shoulders, squeezing them and sort of like kneading are two severed hands. 
in front of him is another greater demon, uh, as prophesied by Polly. Uh, this one has the form of a tiger, except that the head is more akin to a gorilla. And as it walks, you can see its legs are like longer and it's taller than uh, a tiger normally is. Katie, you recognize this as one of the friends you made a few weeks ago. This thing plants itself between you and Rex and it bears its like gorilla fangs and it gorilla grunts at you as its tiger tail uh, twitches hungrily back and forth in the air waiting for the kill. All right, a little bit of a for the for the for the doggies. Doggies. What does that mean? Go do things that I want you to do. Act in your own accord. He's but setting them but on a specific target. It's gonna, in my mind's eye, look cooler if if these two little doggies are trying to attack the big gorilla doggy. Yeah, cat, I do like cat, that. Big gorilla cat. The dogs leap at the big gorilla cat and. Um, you know, sending the minions of a demon against like a greater demon itself, uh, they can help distract it. They can help wear away at it, but the odds are not going to be in their favor, especially with two of them already weakened as they are. The gorilla almost casually, cruelly bats one of them against the shelf along the wall with uh, barely breaking a demon sweat, and the dog goes limp and lands on the floor and starts to disintegrate into puffs of uh, thick, treacly black smoke that make you cough, Kitty, as you stand next to them in this office. Um, the other two dogs are trying to uh, engage this gorilla. Rex sees the two of you, and he gives you a curt nod before he reaches from within his jacket and pulls out uh, a sterling silver pistol. Would you say I am face to face with Rex Lemaire? There's like a big demon fight between you. What are you getting at? I want to do a cool what do you thing. Do? I want to use Dark Fate on Rex Lemaire. Oh, I love them. Their last album was great. What is that? It is Mark Corruption when face to face with someone to, um, to pronounce a curse on them. Roll with spirit on a 10, choose two, and I have some options. Yeah, I think you're face to face enough to curse. What do you want to curse him with? Well, I have to roll it first. Okay. Um, that's an eight, so I only get one. I want to make the effects of the curse potent and obvious. I don't care if it lasts a long time or if he knows it's me. Okay. So what I would like to do is I want to curse him with like a sudden jolt of like extreme empathy and guilt. Like yeah. I want to curse him with empathy. Yeah, I just want him to be overwhelmed with like mourning and with care for all the people he has harmed and is currently harming. It's such a kitty curse. I love it. I really need the like in character voice line of this. It's not very polite to try and murder us with a <laughs> what is this? A gorilla? A large gorilla? Are you sure you want to do this? It's very, that's a kitty curse, for sure. That is for the curse sure. of Kitty Yanakis. But when you speak those words, they they ring heavy, like ancient church bells. There's a weight to them that floods the room, and you can almost see it ripple the spines of books on the shelves across the wall as they race and then smack Rex Lemaire in the face as he hears them. He stops, he lowers the gun, and he looks up at you, Kitty, with shining eyes, and he pulls out the big leather chair in front of the desk, and he sits down, looking down at the desk and down at his hands. He seems 
deeply reflective, maybe even experiencing remorse. It's hard to get a, an extreme handle on this because, again, you're on the opposite end of the room of, like, a, a demon knife fight. Speaking of which, the gorilla thing has dispatched another dog and only one remains and it's looking quite bad. And uh, at this point, Nox, you smell sulfur filling your nostrils. And from behind you, you hear claws clacking on the hardwood floor of this office. And you look down and you see at your side the demon Laxies. I mean, I don't need to say, I mean, I'm assuming that he's here for the same reason, right? He looks up at you and makes sustained eye contact. And then with a slow blink, he nods and he bares his teeth and he lunges at the gorilla tiger. Uh, and unlike the lesser hounds that have been bothering him, Laxies hits him full in the face and seems to almost grow before your very eyes as he launches himself through the air. And when he hits the other demon, they clash and fall to the floor in a tangle of fur and scales and spikes and wings and start scrappling at each other. Uh, I'm gonna try and just murder Rex Lemaire while he's uh, feeling guilty and empathetic towards <gasps> things. <laughs> a good time to murder anyone. You cross over to the desk. Uh, Rex is sitting there. Um, you can see tear stains on the leather like folio case that is sitting on the desk. And he looks up and he says, I've hurt you so much. I'm sorry. Oh, which way do I want to go with this? Uh... A, a magically induced innocent man is apologizing to you from like a position of vulnerability. Kitty in some ways has made it easier to kill Rex Lemire and in some ways has made it much harder to kill Rex Lemire. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Nox has always been pretty dicey. I think he just plunges <laughs> both uh, uh, and now uh, hand range uh, uh, claws uh, into uh, the both temples of Rex Lemire. Uh, basically close to like kind of what was uh, if you, if if you're a true realmer you'd recall episode one of Lakeshore, in which the first time that Knox encountered Roman, uh, made a saw-like trap except both hands and yeah, yeah, Swiss cheese. I think it is for Knox for this situation a relatively painless Swiss cheesing of Rastlemare. It's relatively the more humane approach to take as maybe with like an ounce of gentleness as he's just sitting there so unresponsive you cradle his hand for a second his head in your hands and then you clench the fingers the wolverining takes place um I don't want to get too nasty, but I think there is some like blood mingling with teardrops as they pour down Rex's face onto the desk and uh, he slumps in the chair. The hands on his shoulders look at each other and then scuttle away. Uh. From behind you, you feel uh, a rush of air and a huge like puff of sulfurous smoke that is wafting towards the ajar window at the end of this room. And when you turn around, you see that the gorilla demon is gone and that Laxies lays on the floor of Rex's office. He, his chest has been completely torn open by this demon and his scorpion tail has been ripped off and lies a few feet away in the corner. Um, he's whimpering and making pain sounds in front of you. You owe me. He closes his eyes and then in another noxious puff of sulfurous smoke, 
he vanishes. And when you look down, Knox, you have the hands of a man. Being desensitized to basically everything by, uh, you know, this this uh, selling my soul with a demon thing, I think that the the actions and realities that came with years and years of living this double life and, and, and more recently committing heinous acts, I think Knox just uh, first curls over and, and vomits uh, everything that he's he's consumed today uh, at, at, uh, at the the sight of what he's done and then I think that dog. <laughs> uh, when he when he stands erect after doing that his eyes have a have a glaze over and he's he's there's something that's been um, very much broken uh, as as five 10 15 years of past traumas and experiences hit him like a, a tidal wave a typhoon all at once. Everything you've seen, everything you've done, you can understand, maybe with more clarity now, why Hazel seemed to just completely break and turn to the bottle the instant she was able to experience the crushing weight of the experience now that she and you both have souls. In the corner of the room, there's a grandfather clock, which begins to chime noon. Up in the tower of Lennox Spire on the observation deck, as Roman guides Hazel to her feet after dispatching the horrible demon and reaches for the door where Simon disappeared into, you can hear outside the large tower clock near City Hall striking noon and a crackle as some of the megaphones, the remaining ones in the fairground, burst into life. Even though some of the speakers have been destroyed on the fairgrounds and in the tower over the loudspeakers of the building, it's crystal clear. It's calm, it's even-toned, and there's an iciness to it that stops you in your tracks as you listen. Citizens of Lakeshore, thank you for joining me in celebration of this momentous day. As your mayor, I am committed to improving all aspects of life in Lakeshore, and there is one problem I hope to address definitively this afternoon. For too long, upstanding citizens have been plagued by unease and fear. A certain undesirable element of our city has thrived in shadows, compounding the problems, drugs, crime, poverty, that I know our city seeks to overcome. Well, today we bid farewell to shadows once and for all. Today, we bring Lakeshore into the light. Thank you for listening to episode 20 of Lakeshore, the first half of the campaign finale. I am so proud of this story, and I'm excited for you to find out how it all ends. Lakeshore will conclude on November 10th.